This episode of Pondering Nerdcast was brought to you by GamingRebellion.com. Join the community today at GamingRebellion.com, where it's more than just games. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, welcome to another one of our interview series on the Pondering Nerdcast. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking to uh, Forrest Hanford from uh, Affectivia. I got that right, didn't I? Did I? Did I get that right? Uh, Affectiva. Yeah. A- Affectiva. See, I'm just <laughs> terrible. I'm a terrible person. No, like, <laughs> at least I, I think I got somewhere in approximation, but not really. No, it didn't sound the same. It's okay. We're we're gonna learn a lot about Affectiva tonight. So yes, and get about, it right by the uh, end of it. And about uh, Forrest Hanford as well. Definitely. Yeah. So, we, we get confused with the yogurt company a lot. Yeah, I, I, I can, that's the first thing. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, oh, they make games now? Awesome. But also joining me is uh, Alyssa Spector. Hey, guys. And Makisha Brown. Hi. And you, you know me. I'm the one that can't pronounce names, apparently. Um, Lance John. <laughs> um, so... Uh, just, you know, let everybody know that we met, uh, Forrest at, um, at Indicade this past, like what, two, three weeks ago, I would say. Yeah. It, yeah it's March. a weeks ago, I think. Yeah. It was like a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you yeah. live, if you live in New York city, then, you know, I guess come out for the next one. Definitely. If you love indie games and you love meeting developers and being surrounded by awesome talent. Yes, I agree. It was awesome. So what we what we're going to talk about tonight is um, something that quite honestly like blew my mind. Um, overall, it's the this game. Um, well, I should say the technology behind the game was a way to it's, I believe you call it emotion aware gaming. Correct. Uh, far yeah, that's that's exactly it. So before I say like, I guess I would say. From my understanding of it, you have a piece of software that is uh, more or less, I guess it works through a camera that looks at you to gauge your emotion and then have that affect the game somehow. So that's just my approximation of it. But, you know, I would let you explain it better for those who probably like, oh, what's this all about? Yeah, Affectiva has been making for uh, over five years software that uses just a standard webcam to read the expressions and emotions of a person based on based on the facial expressions. And so it was invented, the, the, the concept was originally invented by Paul Ekman. Um, and the, in, in the 70s, Paul Ekman created what he called the, the facial action uh, unit system. And so we call it like facts for short. And the concept was that there, there are these action units that make up different mo- emotions, and so like, I don't, I don't know all the action unit names, but they have like crazy numbers, like AU four. Maybe it's smile. I, c- I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, and then like AU fifteen is brow furrow, and so you have all these um, these expressions like brow raise, brow furrow, lip pick, lip, uh, lip pucker, lip suck, <laughs> mouth open. And uh, eye closure and uh, nose wrinkle. And then with those, uh, you can actually come up with like the, the basic emotions. Like, 
Have you seen the Disney film Inside Out or Pixar film Inside Out? Yeah. 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 I actually yeah. haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you well, I'm going to spoil it for you. <laughs> no, no, no. So it's um, there. The, the concept of the movie is that um, the main characters are like inside the girl's head, the, the, the main character's girl's head. And so it's like they're, they're the main emotions and they control her, uh, her, her mind. They're in her quote unquote control center, which is her mind. And so uh, it's like. Uh, anger, joy, happiness, uh, sadness, and fear, mm. and so, like correspondingly, we we have those those same emotions uh, that instead of in the seventies, Paul Ekman had people manually trained to to look at a face and say, "Okay, that is a smile. Action unit four. Okay, mm. that is a lip suck, and okay, that is a brow furrow," and so people were were trained to do that manually, but now uh, we've We've used machine learning to take uh, images of faces and video of faces to determine what the the corresponding action units are, and then at the higher level, what the emotions are. And we're adding like metrics all the time. Oh, nice, nice. Um, I had no idea that was something that was developed back in the seventies. It kind of reminded me of a show that was on Fox a couple of years ago. I think it was called Lie to Me where there's this guy he like he has an organization that all they do is do um human be like they can read human behavior but like on a micro level mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he like it's it it a very interesting uh show but it didn't last pretty long um so pretty much what this um so pretty much what you're, what you're saying is um through this software and through how a person reacts um it is applied to this particular game uh, to make it more difficult or help you out or not or that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so the game is Nevermind and mm-hmm. it's by a company called Flying Mollusk. So we're, we're Affectiva developed the technology that they're currently using. Mm-hmm. So in the past, they were using a, they were using heart rate sensor, sensors, various heart rate sensors. Mm-hmm. And so uh, heart rate variability was being used to determine your stress level. And, and it's a pretty good indicator of right. stress. But, for example, sometimes it could have issues like... It, it, so this isn't really going to give anything away, but in the, uh, in the demo that you played, there's this, this, there's this section that's basically uh, a labyrinth or a maze uh, with milk cartons. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, people can get stressed in there, and and the stress level affects the the game. And so, the more stressed you are, the game will start getting like staticky. And in another level, it it does even like crazier things. Um, but in in those specific rooms, like the the room where the maze is, um, it, there's this milk that's a, a part of the the game design. And so, the milk will basically be out of the room. There won't be any milk if you're perfectly serene but then okay. if you're stressed and and for when it was using the heart rate variability if your heart was pounding um then the milk would rise and and like i've drowned in the milk um, but you, you <laughs> wow. can drown in the milk yeah, yeah. so wow. the but one of the, the issues that that they had in the past with heart rate sensors or, or heart rate variability is that um sometimes when people get to the end of the maze they get kind of excited and so like it, it kind of gives a false positive and that excitement can actually mean increased heart rate. 
And so mm. they get to the end of the level, they or, or the end of the maze, and they see the thing that they're supposed to collect, and and they get all excited, like, yes, I did it. Um, <laughs> but their heart rate speeds up, and then they drown in the milk. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the the emotion side uh, with with our software, then it's it's more that you can tell that okay, this person is is afraid. Whereas if, if they're having a positive valence, um, so valence is like an aggregate of positive and, and negative emotions. So uh, valence, the, the way our software works is that a negative 100 is, is a, a negative valence, meaning somebody's feeling really angry or mean or mad or upset. And then a positive 100 means that they're really like ecstatic and happy. And so... Like using that now, they can they can know at the end. Oh, okay. Like because you can actually use both sensors at once. You can use the heart rate variability and the emotion recognition. So if the heart rate suddenly goes up, but the valence also goes up, then they know. Okay, we don't want to drown them in milk. They're they're it, this is a good um, heart rate variability change, not not a bad heart rate variability change. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, after that, so the game never mind. It's just. Uh, is is for PC only, or is it like plans to come to console and like, like I mean, yeah. like, so what I would ask is like, how do you guys uh, for, for the particular software behind the game when it comes to reading the emotion, how do you guys um, anticipate or you know scale out for okay, since you're playing on a PS4, then you use the PlayStation Eye or the Xbox One, which is you know their Kinect sensor, um, is it different? for each console or is it like it's just, it doesn't matter what the camera is watching you just like the same you know standard uh, software that's built in or you need to do something more special right so let me let me answer and, and kind of plug flying mollusk and never mind a bit first so no uh, the the game is available right now um via steam so you can buy it for windows and and mac and it works both with heart rate sensors, including the, what is that, Apple Watch? Yeah, I guess that's what it's called, the yeah, Apple, Apple Watch. Watch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite an obvious name. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> other heart rate variability sensors, um, but also it, it works with our software on, on both of those platforms. Um, it's also available, so you can buy it on Steam for those two platforms, Windows and Mac, mm-hmm. um, but you can also buy it for... Uh, you can buy it for the Mac also on the App Store. And they're working right now on an Xbox version. And uh, I don't know how they release, how, how they'll distribute that. Cause I, I don't know. I don't, I yeah. don't know how Xbox games get distributed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's a whole other process. Um, but, but they're also working on a VR one. And so for, wow. for your bigger question... Um, uh, yeah, how does this work on on each technology? So the way that the way that our software works is like we have this core science code that's written in C plus plus. That um, so C plus plus is like a very low level language, and it it basically compiles. Uh, you need to compile it on each architecture, each uh, processor. So for example, Windows generally runs on thirty two bit and sixty four bit processor chips. Um, and, and like 64-bit processor chips can also run 32-bit. Um, and then there are other architectures maybe you've heard of, like ARM, which is often used for Linux. Um, and then what Mac used to use, so, so Mac actually uses Intel 
based chips, the the 86 chips. So so 86 is like the name of the the programming language. And so like really old computers were like 8086. And so the the assembly language and and the bottom line binary machine language um, uses that language. And so the C++ compiles into that machine language. And so in a way, C++ can be written once and then compiled anywhere. Not not exactly. There, there are like changes you often have to make. Um, whereas like Java, which you've probably heard of, is is the idea of you write once, run anywhere in theory. So so interpreted languages like you can run them anywhere. So so the core science code and and generally speaking, the fastest code you can get. It, I mean the absolute fastest code you can get is assembly, but it it's a ridiculously strenuous process to write assembly code and you have to write it for each processor and oh, so wow. like uh, one line of C++ code will make about 10 lines of assembly code and so it, it's just not scalable to write um, a lot of assembly code but you know back in the day people that wrote like uh, like Doom uh, and Quake and Wolfenstein 3D uh, and, and probably even Warcraft there were sections of code that they had to optimize their video games uh, so that they worked specifically for the processor chip. And so, like, you'd hear these crazy stories about stuff that John Carmack did to, to optimize um, Doom. And, um, but fortunately, that, it, that doesn't have to happen much nowadays. So anyway, so, so our, our core science code is written in C++. Um, and then we, we, we translate it so that it, it can work on um, various platforms, and so right now it works on. Um, so we have SDKs for Android, iOS, Windows, Mac, Linux. Uh, we're working on JavaScript. Uh, I'm actually on the web page. Let me see if it's actually available yet. No, it's it's not yet available. And so now the video games for the video games for the for Nevermind, Nevermind is written in uh, Unity. So Unity is uh, a gaming engine. And so there are two kind of big name gaming engines right now. There's Unreal, which is considered the high-end gaming engine. And then there is uh, there's Unity. Um, and there are a couple others. Uh, Amazon just launched one called Lumberyard. And oh, no kidding. They're... Although I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I guess theirs is what actually... What don't they have their hand in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're well. They own Twitch, so they're 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 kind of like really getting into the video game space. And the the concept behind Lumberyard is that um, you can you can use it for free. So Unity, you can use to it for free up to a certain point. Like once you make a certain amount of money, uh, like I think if your company makes over a hundred thousand, then you have to start paying. You have to pay for a professional edition. But, oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah, but so Lumberyard, it's free, and but the way that they're going to monetize it is that it has easy integration with Twitch, and it has easy integration with uh, Amazon Web Services. And so, you know, I, I'm guessing with with Twitch, I'm not too Twitch oriented and streaming oriented, but you know, I, I guess that it's just you know having the game there and having another place where people are, are streaming content. Then they make their money from advertising. Yeah. But, okay. But then uh, with Amazon Web Services running stuff in the cloud, um, then they're making money based on how many clouds uh, 
instances you're using at a time, how much storage you're using over a month. And so that's that's how they end up monetized. All right, cool. Oh, so back to Unity. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Unity, um, we when we decided to get involved with gaming, um, we were told, hey, all, all the indies or almost all the independent game developers use Unity. So you should really use... Uh, make make something that's available for Unity, and and it was quite a chore. I actually just published a Gamma Sutra article about it, um, like it was published like two days ago, and so for Unity, it's you have to have a wrapper around your C plus plus code because so Unity is written in a language called C sharp, which is um, it's a slightly higher level language, and so it's it's a bit more modular and. It's, it's easier for them to move from one uh, platform to another. It was originally, C-Sharp was originally developed by Microsoft, but um, it forked at one point to, to this thing called Mono, and Unity forked. And, and so what fork means is like they took a copy and, and then started making changes. And so like from that point on, like the two branched off. And, and so like, the C plus the C sharp stuff for Windows has gone on to like version 4.5, whereas Mono is like 2.0. And Unity is based on Mono, so it's kind of an an older version of C sharp. And so anyway, so it's it's about having a wrapper for for the the native SDKs. And so we have these SDKs in all these platforms, but um, it, it takes a lot of time to to write uh, a Unity wrapper so that game developers can easily use it uh, on whatever platform they want. So right now, uh, our stuff is only working on, our, our stuff in Unity only works on the Windows platform and the Mac platform. But we're hoping to add some, some more soon. Um, iOS, we, we hope to get out soon. Uh, and maybe Xbox as well, because, well, uh, Nevermind and Flying Models want to be on Xbox, so it would be really cool if we could help them out there. Right, cool. What would be some other studios that you ideally want to work with? Uh, well, we want to work with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, eventually we want to work with some, some bigger companies. And, and there are some bigger companies, and I can't, I can't really say who they are, but there, there are some big companies that we're, we're in talks with that are interested in the technology, and they, they're considering using it. Um, but again, we're, we're in talks with them, and you know, it might not work out. Sales process, blah blah blah. But you know, it's it's we we reach out to a lot of companies. Like a, a lot of the there there were some developers that were at Indicate that um, like we would never be able to make money off them because they're they're probably not going to make enough money that that we would charge them. So uh, our our license is is sort of like the unity model where it's like if you are not making a ridiculous amount of money like over 200,000 then then you just use it for free and so hopefully eventually do make that much money um but you can use it for free up to that point and you can uh have it available and so so a, a lot of the people I'm trying to talk to are are companies that have really interesting IP and, and interesting games like that, that that could probably use this. Like there are some survival horrors that I recently heard about, where they 
have like there's what is it called aliens there's there's one based on aliens do you guys know the name of it um alien isolation yes alien isolation (laughs) so like i'm trying to get in touch with them is that by creative assembly not sure who makes that game but uh it came out like i want to say it came out last year or this year but i don't quite remember who made it yeah so we're trying to get in touch with them and 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 companies like them that are, are are making games that are are already emotional based. Um, there's there's actually a game that just got launched on. I think it's called Itch Itch.io, and it's by four students at Rensselaer Polytech Institute, and it's called Stink. And we actually have a link to it. I can I can email you guys the link to it later. I, I'm so, actually checking yeah, sure. uh, checking it out now. Cool. So. It's it's a really emotional game. It's 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 a short game, uh, and it's a free game. And so they, I, I mean, I think for them, it's it's their uh, their students and they're they're demoing what they did, which is which is a really cool thing and and really necessary these days for for getting into game development. It's like you want to get involved with game jams. You want to make some games. You want to have some some games in your portfolio and list them on LinkedIn so that so that people can see them and. Your potential employers to see them, and so I, I think that that was kind of like the high level. But this this one was was something that actually won uh, the Excellence and in Innovative Narrative Award in the 2016 Game Fest. Wow! Wow! With your technology, until yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome. That's cool. Um, that's a really great point that you make about uh, the importance of j- game jams and just working together creatively. You yourself have really done a lot of work to foster community. Um, I read your recent Gama Sutra, Game of Sutra article about the importance of community um, in the game development uh, field. And even in the 90s, you, you've been fostering different um, community uh outings and meetings and um just collective uh efforts of collective learning and teaching and i wanted to ask you about what you think about the current climate of community-based efforts around uh encouraging game development talent and learning um uh on the east coast or just uh, in general what you see see now since you've done so so much work around that so i i got interested in game development well i I guess even in high school i was i was a little interested in game development where i made a a learning educational game i think it was in basic where you would basically it would it would give you math problems that were randomly generated would randomly pick numbers uh, and randomly pick operators like plus minus uh, divided by or or times, and then it would calculate what the answer was, and then it would be like, okay, what's the answer? And it would ask you the answer. So, like back then when I was in high school, there the, the internet was pretty much non-existent. Um, my wife, who's basically the same age as me, she she likes to have this tell this story about how when she was in high school, she was asked to do a project on Saturn. And so she did an internet search for Saturn and 11, 12, 12 hits came up. One of them was about the planet and all the rest of them were about the car company. Wow. Uh, 
<laughs> so um so th- so things have certainly come come a long ways and so when i was in college so like 96 to 98 i uh i i got more into the games um i, I was playing like warcraft doom and starcraft and i i really wanted to to become a game developer and so I, I started studying, and back then there there really weren't the options that are available now. So it's like you you could pay out uh, money to buy books, or there were there were exactly two colleges that had programs. There was Full Sail and DigiPen, and I think they both still exist and and have have done really well for themselves. But um, that that was it. Whereas now. Uh, there are lots of colleges, for for example, Fitchburg State University in Massachusetts, which is kind of like, to me, a hole-in-the-wall college. They're a really cool college. I, I've, I've been there for a global game jam, but to me, they're kind of a, a middle-of-nowhere college, and they have a, a game development program. And so, like, it's it's almost ubiquitous. I think almost every state probably has some game development course. And so... In my in my college days, like if you were going to make a game, it was like you were going to make it on your own. You were going to write it from scratch. There weren't tools like Unity that that would help you. Um, like Unity will do all the physics. Unity will do all the lighting. Like it it knows all that from scratch. And so like the video games I was writing back then were often games that were like text oriented games. I actually wrote. Um, what was called a mud once um so that's like a multi-user dungeon which is kind of like like zork but uh it's it's a precursor to massively multi-online role-playing game it's just completely text only so it's like world of warcraft just with tech and and (laughs) more than 50 users so so it was it was really hard to make you know even an impressive a mildly impressive looking game whereas nowadays um, and so, like, hackathons didn't really exist back then. Like, the, the term, I, I think it was in, invented around the time I was in college, but it, it really didn't become popular until, like, like maybe five years after I got out of college. And the, the Global Game Jam, uh, which I think it was started by Suzanne Gold, who, who was a teacher at Northeastern, when it, it, it's just exploded. And it really is a, a global game jam where everybody... Um, all, all these game development locations, all these colleges and universities throughout the world will have uh, teams compete. And so I, I was at the Pittsburgh State University uh, site this year. And so we made a game in, in 24 hours. And there were, I think there were four other sites just in Massachusetts for the Global Game Jam. And so it's like in, it's a 48-hour hackathon. So in 48 hours... Um, you go from having no game to having a, a, a hopefully somewhat complete game, a, a game that the judges can look at and, and either scoff at, find a bug and, and pass off, or say, oh, wow, this is kind of cool and awesome. Um, and then I think like each site usually gets like an award. And so, yeah, it was like, like we made a, a 3D game uh, in 24 hours. We made all the art assets, all the the sound assets, uh, the programming assets, what? and yeah, yeah, in 24 hours, sorry, 48 hours, um, and it, we, I put all the source code on GitHub, so if you want to see it, you can see it, um, and it's yeah. using, it's using the <laughs> Unity, it's, it's using the Unity engine, you can download the game and play it, but 
um, you, you can also see the source there. And it's it's using the Unity engine. Um, there, there's like a lot of extra stuff that isn't really in use. It it it, it does like if you look at the code, it kind of looks like it was written at say late at night, <laughs> but uh, it, it it works and um, it it. It, it's a fun game. Uh, we didn't we didn't win. There were, I think there were twelve teams at Fitchburg State University, um, and I don't remember which team won. I, I think I think we came close to. It. We were pretty cool. Yeah, um, that sounds really great. Like how how um, how was it working with your team members? It was it was so. So I've been to hackathons before, but I've never been to a game jam before. That's that's the only game jam I've been to before, and so it was it was a really unusual experience because, uh, so we had a team of six, including me, and that, in retrospect, that that was slightly too large. A, a team of four is probably better off because, um, like there was one, one designer who who created a bunch of levels and i think almost none of his stuff actually got got used and three of us had programming talent like i was i I have programming talent and two of the other people had programming talent um and uh a a lot of the stuff that we coded was was duplicating effort and so a lot of that stuff get get done get used um fortunately our artist was the only artist and our our sound person was our only sound person so like all their sound stuff and almost all the art stuff that was was used. Um, so, so one of the things that was, I don't know, it, it felt weird for me was that I, I was working with, um, except for one student, and I didn't know this at the time. I thought all the students were actually freshmen at the time, um, and like some of them had never made a video game before, and so it was kind of weird. And like so, so some. Sometime I some of the time I was like the, the pep rally person in the like this is this is how you make games and, and like like we, we can't have feature creep and like we have to focus and and, and it was kind of like I, I had to be the leader by default because I just I just had the leadership experience through age um, so yeah that that's did that answer your question uh well yeah definitely I mean hackathons is um like game jams and hackathons, I, I didn't really know that they were different until you broke it down for me. I, I thought it was all pretty much like the same kind of process where you get together with near, like near strangers and brainstorm a uh, product that is a workable prototype um, that showcases as many of your skills as possible that is in line with the 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 events goals or, or missions you know um yeah. but uh yeah that's really interesting um but yeah. uh you know the work that you've done in the past like you have um you have your site that's still up uh east coast games it was um you, you made it uh in 1998 was it yeah eastcoastgames.com um, and, and on the site, it's, it's like a throwback to so many different, uh, changes in the field of game development, um, from your perspective, which I think is really awesome. You know, it's, it's a great reference for people. Um, and, and it shows your, you have this, um, this, uh, multi-tiered perspective on the field 
And I thought that was really cool. Um, it, it really shows how you made the effort to foster learning, uh, teaching yourself how to code, um, in order to make cool games. I, you know, it's really as simple as that. And I just wanted to know what you thought of like the current, um, I guess the current climate of, uh, like coding immersives and, and, uh, college programs, computer science programs, programming programs. Uh, I, I myself, I'm a student of General Assembly. Um, I taught myself web design and some JavaScript, uh, some scripting, but, um, you know, I, I, I went into a coding immersive to teach myself quality code or, or to, to learn quality code. Um, so yeah, I just, I was curious about what you thought of the world of game development and programming today. Yeah. So um, in terms so, of uh, the, the educational climate and the community oriented climate. So in, in the time that I was going to college there, there was kind of uh, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's still what I would call like a, a machismo factor. And, and part of the, the factor back then was like you, people would kind of be scoffed at if, if they had a college degree. And so, like, people that were, like, at ID Software and people that were at Blizzard back then, like, they often did not have uh, college diplomas. And it, so it was, it was kind of expected that you had to bootstrap yourself and, and you had to teach yourself. And, and if you wouldn't, if you, if you didn't do that, then you probably weren't worth your salt. And, and even outside of video games, that was a little true because... Like people would point at Steve Jobs and, um, oh, sorry, not Steve Jobs, uh, Bill Gates, um, but yeah, Steve Wozniak as well. And and you know they'd point at these people and be like, see, they didn't even graduate college, and and look what they're doing. And so, uh, there there was kind of this like badge of honor. Well, Wozniak is like a god, man. So totally, I, it's totally. fair for anyone to be compared to him, man. Yeah. Um. And so, and, and so that that I think that was true back then, and, and but I I don't think it's as true now, and and I think that um, that that again I, like I said I use the word machismo, machismo, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong. It, I think that that probably was a turnoff for for non uh, wasp people, non you know white Anglo-Saxon. People and and so like people of diversity, it, it was kind of like, like, especially for 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 women. I, I think that it was, and and games weren't being made for women back then. It it was really a, a crappy market, um, and uh, it's improved a little bit, but there's there's still a long way to go. Um, and computer science in general does not have a lot of diversity. So there was a time that I worked in medical software. And I had this guy that, uh, so I, I was a, a manager, a low-level manager at the time. And I had this guy, Carl, who worked for me. And uh, so he was from, he was from a South American country. I, I can't remember which country. And uh, he, so I had hired him into my group. He had been at the company for a while. And one point we were having a, a meeting and he told me, it was like a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Um, and he told me that, he had actually changed his name and that originally when he moved to the United States, his name was Carlos. 
and that nobody would even respond to his resume because it said Carlos. Like, nobody would give him interviews. Um, and, and so he had to change his name to Carl just so that people would look at his resume. And, uh, and, and at the time, like, and I still ask myself, like, wow, is, is, that, is that something that I would have done? Like, I, I sure hope not. I mean, I was glad that he was in my group and, and he was a, a great performer in my group. But, you know, is, is that just a, a, a horrible bias that we have that, like, I would look at this person and be like, oh, Carlos, well, uh, people with the name Carlos, they, they don't belong in science. Um, but it, it's unfortunately something that, that happens all too often uh, in, in games uh, and computer science. And but again, I think it's it's getting a lot better. Um, uh, uh, if you look at a company like Flying Mollusk, they're actually led by a woman. Uh, Aaron Reynolds is what they call the the chief mollusk. That's the name of the CEO, the chief mollusk, <laughs> flying mollusk, and uh, extra points for pun. So <laughs> yeah, so you know it's it's great to see um, women in in in, in te the tech field and women in games and uh, Rana Al-Kayoubi, she's a, a co-founder of Apictiva and she's, she's just astounding. The, the stuff that she's done uh, in, in, for, for effective computing, which is what, what we call our, our area of computing with the, the, the understanding of emotions, um, emotion AI, uh, and like she's, she's done TED Talks, she's um, been in, in so many articles it, it's it's really inspiring and it, it's great uh, to see that that people of diversity are are starting to uh, get their names out there in in the tech field and, and starting to be a part of the tech field um, our company actually has uh, a good portion of our, our staff are uh, from the Middle East and so that was really cool and, and different and that was one of the things that actually excited me about joining Affectiva was um, that that I'd worked for some companies with with kind of less uh, diversity and and like with Affectiva I'm like being interviewed by multiple women and then the the, the chief science officer is a woman. Wow, this is really cool. So. I I have to say I've I've been to a, a few panels and. Um, conference, um, uh, not workshops, but like discussions around diversity and, and, and not related to diversity at all. And you're one of the only senior level individuals in, uh, tech companies and that, that actually ad admitted or, or, or mentioned how diversity has actually added to the the not quality but um just the greatness of of your department and your company and your team you're you're one of the only ones who i've ever heard mention that i i don't usually hear senior level people uh talk about how it it um enriches a company Thanks. So yeah. there's there's this concept of like and, and just just for our, our listeners, um, can you mention your your exact title in uh in uh Affectiva? Yeah. So I'm well. I'm both the DevOps lead and and the games evangelist. I 
I originally was hired at Affectiva uh, to do uh, a DevOps position. And so DevOps briefly is, it's, it's kind of like a mix between um, IT and development. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was hired in to do that. But then they, when, when we made the shift to start trying to, to focus on the games market, they were like, hey, uh, we need somebody with a gaming background. And um, I was the, the person with the, the, the largest gaming background um, at the company. And they're like, hey, Forrest, would you like to do this? And I'm like, uh, okay, working on games. That, that's like <laughs> my dream. Okay, sure. <laughs> Um, and so did I answer your question? What was your question? Oh, oh, what was my title? So yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm now the games evangelist, meaning that, uh, it's kind of like a, a tech evangelist position where, um, I, I both am involved with code, uh, on a regular basis coding, um, most days, but I, I also reach out to people like you, although you guys actually reached out to me, which is really cool. Um, and, and I go to events like IndieCade East, and, and I talk about our technology, and I went to GDC, we had a booth there, and so it's, it's, it's a little marketing-y, but like I don't, I, I could never sell stuff, I'm, I'm not a, a salesperson, I, I, it's more like, hey, this, this is what we have, what are you doing, like maybe this is cool for you and maybe not, it's, it's, I'm not the creepy car salesman person. Um, you're and so, so yeah. modest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So, with the uh, with diversity, uh, one one concept that's that's come up in the last few years, especially at at like I think Ruby conferences, um, which are conferences relating to the Ruby programming language. Um, there's this concept of like male allies um, and and women in tech, and so sometimes the male allies kind of shoot themselves in the foot because. So the thing is, like, I'm, like, I'm in a position of power. Like, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not thinking of the right word. I, uh, like, because because I'm white, because I'm male. Like, um, I I get things that I take for granted, and, um, but, and, and be, because like I I take them for granted. I mean, there there's sometimes. That, that I have to question myself and, and, and there are definitely times that, that um, I'll, I'll do something and, I'll, and realize later that oh my gosh I just I just did something that that was biased against uh, somebody based on say their sexual orientation or or color or whatever um, I mean like like even like there there was one time I saw somebody in an office um, I think it was at, at carbonite the company I worked at before and they they looked Latino and I was like, oh, cleaning staff. And I'm like, whoa, why did my mind just say cleaning staff? Like WTF, like that's not right. Like they, they, they could be like uh, an executive, like just, just because a lot of people um, who are from a Latin background, like have those kind of jobs doesn't mean that they can't do like awesome stuff. Um, and and mm-hmm. so it, it it's it's tough because you know coming from that place of power um it's hard to it's hard to put that aside and it, it's hard to to judge people and and it's it's easy to say stuff like oh well um i i, I heard i heard a podcast once um it was a, a ruby oriented podcast and people were like um well like you know to get into tech and to be an all-star you know you should like write you should have podcasts and you should write blogs and 
you know, you should do all the stuff I do. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but like, how is a, how's a single mother going to do that? Like, where is a single mother going to find the time to, to like host a podcast um, or to like create and develop her own blog? That's, that's going to be like an amazing thing. Like you, you just can't, you can't do that. There, there are people that are, you know, impoverished and they don't, they don't have the, the ability to, to, to bring themselves to, to, to do those kind of things. So, uh, you, we, we have to be very careful in, in judging people, um, by those criteria and, and, and turning our nose up and, and looking away. Um, and so to me, in- inclusivity is important because the more, the more people we have at the table that aren't like me, the better solutions we're going to have. So, you know, like I might have a bit of a diverse background. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, so I'll, I'll just say this, I, I'm bisexual. So, so like I, I have a, a little bit of a diverse background, but like I'm in a, I'm in a heterosexual relationship. So like my, my sexuality pretty much never comes up because it's like, why, why does it need to? Like I'm married and, and I'm happy and sure I've, I've been with guys in the past, but like most people don't know that and, and don't need to know that. Um, but it's like, like if your color is different, like there's nothing you can do to change that. And like, like, so I can hide my sexuality because it, it doesn't, it's not something that's obvious. Um, but you know, you can't hide your gender. You can't hide, uh, your skin color and, and you shouldn't have to. And so uh, again, to me, um, diversity means bringing more ideas to the table because, um, you know, somebody that, that grew up in, so like Rana Al-Kayubi, she grew up in Kuwait. So, you know, she has such an amazingly different outlook on the world than I, I mean, you know, you know, think about it, like the, the, the wars that, that have happened between the Middle East and the U.S., like she's sort of been on the other side, like, okay, sure, we, we helped Kuwait, but um, she's been in other countries as well. Um, and so, you, you know, just having that, that different perspective, especially when it comes to creative work like video games. So um, the more perspectives you, you have, uh, there was this Google Health application that was made uh, a while back and it, it tracked your health over time. And one of the big gripes that people had about it was that um, it, it seems very clearly like it was made strictly by men because one of the things it did not track was like monthly menstrual cycle. Like that's, that's something that's normal part of, of, uh, of women's health. And like, this is tracking normal health things and it, it didn't track that. And so like Google got a lot of, um, got, got a lot of flack for that. It rightly so. Um, but like, it's, it's just, we take things for granted because, um, we, we don't have those, those various perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely hear that, but it's all for the end, the end result of having great games and having amazing ideas brought to the table and furthering technology for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a no brainer. (laughs) Yeah. 
I, yeah. I love that Indicade had the, the this big. It talked about accessibility. There were a lot of talks on accessibility, and it seemed to be a huge theme of of the event. And 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 I think it was really awesome because like um, getting making games more accessible is, is hugely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Indicade is is great. Um, what what brought you to Indicade? What um, did you get a lot of positive? Um, did, did you uh, did you get a lot of uh, good feedback? Uh, how how was your experience being represented at Indicade? And yeah, yeah, what brought you there in the first place? So Indicade, what happened was that uh, Flying Mollusk was at Indicade Prime, and they're LA based, and so um, they're they're like a studio for and. They're they're indie developers, so you know they they don't have the time or, or money to be flying all across the country, um, and so we've we've kind of had some joint marketing partnership, where um, sometimes they talk about our technology um, at events that they can go to, uh, and sometimes they help us get involved with events. And so they were invited to Indicate East, and they're like, "Well, this is a cool event, and we'd love to be there." But um, and and this happened at Tribeca as well, the the Games for Change. Uh, media summit, uh, which which happened in Tribeca at the Tribeca Film Festival, like a couple weeks before Indicate East. Um, oh, man, they, they Lance were... and I we were supposed to go to that, but we couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time. Next time. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, a lot of the stuff that was there was also at Indicate. Um, like that that cool thing with the like the glove that that lit up. Like that thing was there. Oh, um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I never got a chance to try. Um. So. So, so they, they asked me if I could go to these events. So it was like, you know, I, I talk about Affectiva, but I'd also talk about, uh, nevermind and flying mollusk. And, um, so sometimes the events kind of like, like I went to PAX East and, and represented, uh, flying mollusk and Affectiva. And I think there, um, it, it was mostly gamers. And so hopefully flying mollusk got their, their value out of it. Affectiva probably not, but it was super cheap for us to go to, and I'd always wanted to beat a PAX. I used to be a huge Penny Arcade fan, uh, and so it was it was cool to to finally go to PAX East. Very um, cool. And oh, I then love Penny Arcade. <laughs> yeah, Penny Arcade's awesome. Um, <laughs> well, okay, I, it, so it's kind of like The Simpsons for me. It's like a- after so many years of watching it, like like I. When when I first was reading Penny Arcade, um, they weren't doing it as a living. They were not making a living off of it, um, and they were they were trying to come up with like how could we actually make money off of this? How could we at least pay the bills for the server that we're using? And so they they had this concept of um, like you could pay a small amount if if you were a reader, you could pay a small amount and you would get extra content. And so like I did this for a while. It's like. I don't know, you'd pay like a dollar or something through whatever the equivalent of PayPal was back then. I don't think PayPal existed. Um, so you'd send them like a, a dollar or, or, or a couple dollars, and then they'd send you like unique artwork. And so that was cool. Like my desktop was was a a, a drawing that they, they had that only went to their quote-unquote supporters. Um, but obviously they've oh. moved on, and now they, they make lots of money, um, mostly through advertising. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you have any questions, cool. Alyssa? Uh well <laughs> uh yeah, uh I gotta say I I 
you know, uh, <laughs> sorry, I haven't had a word <laughs> yet. Uh, I saw Nevermind uh, Indicate and uh, thought it looked really cool. And, you know, the technology itself is amazing, but I would probably be too scared to play it because <laughs> horror games, you know, freak me out in general. And I actually am a very anxious uh panicky person you know at times so oh, i know man. i fail i i would fail right away so, <laughs> <laughs> but i think because of that i think um you know in a sense this technology is great because it helps those with like um emotional issues like anxiety and depression so yeah. i'm happy games like this exist uh because i feel like somebody who suffers from maybe something like social anxiety this is like a great tool like almost like a therapeutic tool to help those you know who are afraid so afraid to like leave their house they could use this as like you know how to control mm. you know their anxiety so uh mm. it's really cool. <laughs> cool yeah so it like is it is that basic is that like your main intention like to use these games to like help those with like emotional issues with like anxiety, depression, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So Flying Mollusk had had this goal in mind and, and the the game Nevermind actually came out of like a, a thesis at LSU. And so like it, it's cool to hear like a game that you can buy on Steam like starts just as like a, a thesis at, at a college then like it, it was, there was a small project and then eventually it grew and, and they had like two Kickstarter campaigns and, and so they were funded through Kickstarter. So yeah, the, the, the concept was that the more stress, so, so they give you stress stimuli and the game, the game kind of gives you stress by, by showing you things that could make you afraid. And so like originally it would, it would be checking your heart rate and if your heart rate increased, then the game will get harder. And so the idea is that you're supposed to teach yourself calmness and, and teach yourself to, to be meditative and, and relax. And uh, it, as, as somebody that's played the game, it, um, I mean, I horror is like, okay, I played Doom as a kid, but like Doom back then, it wasn't really scary. Um, like, especially compared to like what games look like now. Yeah. Um, and Oh, you can't compare it. No, no. Yeah. I, I remember, I think years ago at a sleepover, I, uh, my friends made me play f this game called Fatal Frame, <laughs> uh, which is basically, it's like a Japanese horror game, uh, and your only weapon is like a camera, so it's like, it's a very quiet game where you're just walking slowly in room after room, and then suddenly a ghost will just come out of nowhere, and, you know, you have to use the camera, you know, and it's basically in first person. It's like the closer the ghost gets to you, you know, the more points you get. <laughs> like you, you flash the ghost. You're like taking pictures of the ghost to like destroy the ghost. And of course, my friends made me play that at three in the morning in pitch black darkness, and <laughs> I wanted to cry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, scary. So with this um, software, with the Emotion Aware, and um, like, is that the official name for it? By the way, Emotion Aware Gaming Software, or is like, do you have like another name for it? Uh, just to right. Be clear. So, uh, we we're 
what we say for gaming is emotion aware gaming. Yeah. Um, other other terms we use is like emotion AI, um, and and so that's our more like okay. beyond gaming. Uh, and then we we also call it like so so like the the official geeky. This is what you call it M- MIT uh-huh. uh, <laughs> term is affective computing. Okay. Um, okay. And and then there's also for a while for our software development kits we were saying uh, emotion enabled. So we make your game, make your app emotion enabled. So hmm. for example, like that. yeah. So yeah. like if you had like a security app um, that like you could unlock, you could remotely unlock your house. Um, you could add it. You could emotion enable it so that it could determine like, oh, you're stressed, you're scared, you're you're frightened. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe somebody's got a gun to your head, and we should not unlock the door, even though you're asking us to unlock the door. Right. Yeah, because that, that's my next question. Was going to like um, future applications um, of this sort of software, uh, where like some of the stuff you're just saying about being stressed and not opening the door is the. Um, I'm a big anime fan, so. Um, uh, there's an anime, I believe it was in the second season, I think, uh, what was the name? Psycho Frame or something like that. Psychopaths? Psychopaths, yes. Where in the future, they, um, what they, uh, I'm guessing government or a few really intelligent people, they came up with this like forever watching constant monitor of people's behavior. So if you were exhibiting things of like a psychopath, not a psychopath, but, you know, they would call you, like, a psychopath or whatever the case may be. So you had to, like, kind of keep your emotions in check or you would be, like, you know, extricated from society. It's it's a really messed up anime. Um, but, you know, my, my question is, like, um, it, it sounds like it has so many different applications, not just for gaming and stuff like that or just entertainment. Like, I, you know, is this something you guys hope to be like the next add-on for like the next generation of gaming because you know to stick in that realm because you know everybody's been asking the question what next i know there's vr but that's still just you know that's immersion mm-hmm. um this visual and audio immersion but what's you know I, I feel like this could be the next thing to be added on to even immerse you even further into a game Mm-hmm. If, it, if it's able to read your emotion and like give you that feedback and you know it can like either make it more difficult or not and stuff like that like that's my feeling on it is that like something you guys hope to do or you have a different path in mind well yeah so so uh, like our original focus was was very much um about game so it's it's really cool like that we have um some game demos and and then specifically we've got Nevermind and Sync that have, have been made with our technology and and so uh, we kind of are, are, are kind of feeling like maybe indies are going to pick up on this and, and and maybe someday it'll 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 be a big thing um, so so but yeah the idea is like uh, you think of a game like like The Walking Dead and you know there's there's this scene where uh, uh, okay spoiler alert. Okay, I said it. I gave a pause. Um, so there's this scene where where Clementine, um, it's it's at the, like the end of the game, uh, Clementine, and is it Joel? Is that is that the guy's name? The the guy that kind of like took care of her the whole time. Um, oh damn, I don't remember. I, 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 I think it's Joel. I haven't played it. <laughs> so 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 Joel 
uh, has been her. And, and basically in, in the Walking Dead IP, when uh, somebody dies, uh, unless their brain is destroyed, they become a zombie. Um, just, just like how it works in the TV show. And so um, Joel uh, has been caring for this girl Clementine for, uh, for a long time. And, and he, he, he got hurt and, and he's about to die. And, and he has to convince her you have to kill me because if you don't, I'm going to become a zombie and I'm going to kill you. And that's awful. And so I'm sorry, you just, just have to take this gun and kill me. Um, and so it's, it's like this hugely emotional scene. And like, you can, you can look for it on YouTube and you'll see people crying as, as they're playing this game. And um, so you could imagine that that scene could, could adapt based on your emotion and like, so you're playing as Joel trying to convince Clementine to shoot you and like, you know, having an emotional layer, like she sees the emotions of you, the player. I um, mean, she's, she's altering based on, on what she's seeing you do. And, and so like you have to persuade her. Um, and, and so like, like if, if you're all happy, she'll, she'll maybe not do it. Or, or like if you're not getting the, the right, um, the right emotions across and so like a, a common example of, of that we use for this technology is like imagine you, like you walk up to a guard and you're you with your actual face you know you make this like angry face and and so like at first the guards in, in front of you like oh you can't pass uh, and so you know maybe this is like a zelda game and you know the guards like you can't pass you're just a little boy <laughs> and and so then you know, you give this like really mean face, and he's like, "Oh, oh, uh, never mind. Uh, I, I gotta run away." Um, or, or maybe it's it's more like you you give like this sweet little innocent puppy dog face, and and then the, the guard's like, "Oh, you are no harm. You're no threat. Come on in." <laughs> and and so yeah, like having having those those interactions in a game, and, um, and then also like accessibility is something that Indicate got me thinking about, which is that. You know, so never mind. It, it's it's meant to get harder based on on your stress level, and, and it's supposed to teach you calmness. But you know, the opposite can certainly be useful for accessibility. Where, like, so I often give this example of of my stepson is is scared um, of scenes in My Little Pony, um, whereas <laughs> my daughter, who's like six years younger, is not. And so, like, my stepson will like hide behind chairs um he, he's he's older now this this isn't true anymore but this, this used to be true he he would he would run and hide behind a chair if, if like a scary scene in my little pony happened and my daughter's like mm, whatever my little pony um and and so like you can't just judge somebody by their age and say um oh this person is is such and such an age so clearly we can show them the graphic violence and and this person is younger so, so we need to tone down the violence, and it needs to be all cartoony. Um, that's that's not necessarily the case, you know. There are people with post-traumatic stress disorder, and so mm -hmm. if if you can adapt the game to to figure out like, whoa, this this is too intense, and and there are games that have like rubber banding in them where um, they get a little easier based on oh they they're not very good at this platformer. Let's let's make it so that they they jump a little farther next time and a little farther next time. Um, and so if, if you add that emotional component, you could really have uh, more psychological accessibility in video games. 
Wow. And so that's that's what we're thinking about games um, changing the actual gameplay themselves. Um, we think that possibly bigger, um, maybe financial things for us are um, in playtesting. So, so like having people try out a game um, and and know that they're being recorded. Like like you know they go in to, to try the game and and the developer is trying to learn. Um, based on their first hour of gameplay, what what they feel about the game, and so right now it's all re- based on reporting. It's self-reporting, and there's so many biases there. Like, you know, a person could go in and be like, "Well, I really hated this game, but I love game development. Games are awesome, and oh, you're an awesome game company, and like this game looks like it's gonna suck, but but the like, other games you made are awesome so i'm just going to give you like this great review and and tell you what i what i think you want to hear so um if instead you're using emotional analysis from from webcam then you can get information about like how's the person actually feeling and it, it's it's far less biased than than what they're going to say to you yeah yeah all right that's really cool i had to answer my question <laughs> um, that um that yeah. actually reminded me of a chat a video chat that i was a part of um years ago and it was like uh, i don't know like five or six of us and someone said a joke and a couple of us typed lol but we weren't actually laughing and mm-hmm. someone mentioned that um she was like oh that's so funny how some of you typed LOL, but none of you are smiling or laughing. And, and that made me laugh because I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that's true. Actually. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Just or, or, if you pose, or if you put a little smiley face, but you're like frowning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like LOL. Um, there, there's like a Ted talk, I think about it. And, and there's, there's actually been like research about how, like you know how there are all these various communication forms, and so like um, there's there's speeches, there's there's how we talk to each other, um, then there's how we write to each other, and then texting is is like totally different communication form, and obviously tweeting is a totally different communication form. But like mm-hmm. LOL, apparently it it doesn't really mean laugh out loud anymore. It actually usually means like oh yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like LOL, like I'm following along. It's it's more like a uh huh uh huh. It's oh, it's true. not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and like, so this guy has done crazy geeky study and, and research into that. Um, unfortunately, I don't know his name or uh, where you could find that TED Talk, but it, mm-hmm. it's out there. Um, the LOL TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> LOL. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Look, I guess maybe some people nowadays, they just add LOL to make it like, you know, at the end of every text to be like, yeah, I'm in a happy mood, you know, I'm not, you know, because, yeah. you know, with text messages, even with, you know, I guess that's why a lot of people like to post GIFs and pictures and smiling faces because, you know, you could just send like a text to someone to be like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, hi. Like if, if you know, it could come off as like, oh, hi. You know? <laughs> or if yeah. I put a smiley face next to it, it's like, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so like one of the concepts we're working on is like emotional mimicry. So like in video games, you're, you know, you're playing World of Warcraft and you're about to go on the big quest, and then you know it's the quest to hunt the the orc or whatever the the mega orc of awesomeness and, or <laughs> whatever. And so 
you know, you have to get your guild all, all up in arms and, 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 and ready. And, you know, your character just kind of looks like dopey dopey do. Whereas, <laughs> you know, they're hearing, you know, they're hearing your emotions, but they're not seeing it while they're, their characters are looking at your characters. Uh, and, and so, like, one of our, our early focuses and, and, and definitely a continued focus of Affectiva has been in autism. And so people on the autistic spectrum, they have trouble understanding uh, emotion. And so, like, you know, you'll say a joke and, like, it'll be an off-color joke and, and people will be repulsed by it. And, and, and like, but a person with autism, they might not catch the subtle cues that, oh, th this person didn't like my joke. Uh, I, I guess it was a little too offensive. I went over the line. And, and they might keep going. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, if we could have Google Glass, um, like, using our software <laughs> so that, it, which technically is, is out there. Um, but, like, for, for autistic people to be able to see, like, the emotions um, of people when, when they're talking to them. Holy cow, that's <laughs> an amazing idea. Huh. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> See that? Yeah. I turned LOL into a sales kit. Ha ha. Ha ha. Learn something new. Learn something Sometimes new. I don't end my text with LOL. It's ha ha. <laughs> JK. You, <laughs> uh, you learn something new on the Pondering Art cast, yeah. I will say. <laughs> um, okay, so we are definitely out of time. Uh, I mean, I let uh, we had to run long because it was just a great conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty know, much. Yeah, I you know I love this. Um, uh, but uh, before we go, uh, Forrest, can you tell everybody where you can like you know stalk you on the internet if you you know if you care about doing that, like you know plug all your uh, social medias and stuff like that. Sure. So Twitter at Forrest J F O R E S T -E J A Y. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty much the easiest places. And then I, I do have East Coast games, but I don't really maintain it. Um, the best way really to follow me is is through uh, Twitter. Uh, and then occasionally I blog on Gamasutra. And occasionally I actually blog on, on Affectiva's website, affectiva.com. Yeah. And they have a, a Twitter at, at Affectiva. I, I found East Coast games um, more as a reference than anything. Yeah, it's it's something that um, so originally it was very focused on video games, video game development. Um, but over time, as as other things became more, as as so it, it was like the only place to learn games back then. Like so, so Gama Sutra had been created a year before, and so technically it was there. Um, but it was very small back then. Stack Overflow didn't exist. Um, Global Game Jams didn't exist. But now there's so many places you can learn about video games that eventually I was like, okay, well, you know, I've got a full-time job. I've got kids. Like, it's, it's time to move on. But then eventually I was like, oh, I've got this other project where I'm going to talk about, um, where I'm going to talk about green energy dressed as a pirate. And so, so I'm like, well, I've got this website already. I guess I'll just add it to my website. So it, 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 it kind of, I don't know, sort of devolved or evolved depending on your point of view. <laughs> Right on. Cool. cool. All right. Well, we'll bring it all to the end here. Uh, you know, definitely check out uh, the game Nevermind and let us know if uh, you freak out or not <laughs> while playing the game. <laughs> but I guess, you know, I would say stream it on Twitch. Let's see. Let's see so we can all just look at you. <laughs> Maybe that will probably that will stress you out even more, but we'll see. <laughs> but, uh, 
thank you for joining us, uh, Forrest, and uh, thank everybody for being on here tonight as well. Uh, we really definitely appreciate it. Thanks for and, having me. And your amazing fun. work in emotion AI technology. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for, up, for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it up. It's amazing work. <laughs> thank you. All right, guys, that was our interview with Forrest Hanford, um, the lead, I would say, game, yeah, lead um, dev. DevOps. Yeah, mm-hmm. DevOps. Like, yeah, he's like, he's in charge, I think. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, he is the uh, uh, DevOps and a game evangelist for um, Activia. Uh, damn, I almost said Activia. It's not Activia. <laughs> it's effect- not the yogurt. Okay, it's not the yogurt, guys. Okay, it's effect, 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 effectiva, effectiva. Yes, see, yes, I knew it. Uh, and guess how many times it took me to get that right? I never got it right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, just real quick, guys. What what do you guys? Um, you know, I, I thought the interview went really well, and um, this technology that it, it, to me has like so much uh, potential to do good. And you know, help those with um, that deal with anxiety, that sort of thing. And also, like, it also can add this extra immersion for me personally for like gaming as well. You know, that's that's my take on this um, software. Um, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, pretty much. I, I had the <laughs> I had the same thought as well. Uh, you know, I think this technology is amazing and can do amazing things. Uh, and especially think it would be amazing uh you know to be utilized for like uh you know other gaming aspects like like you said earlier if i'm playing a zelda game and i have to get past the guard uh using only my emotions you know uh i think that would be a great experience um but yeah other than that i love how this technology can go out of its way to be used as like you know as like a therapy tool for those suffering from like emotional problems, um, you know, and it's a way for them to cope. So doing good work guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'm really impressed with Forrest's, uh, Forrest's, <laughs> um, his background in, uh, just the game developer community. And he must be a really great lead for his department um for his team because his perspective is so multi-dimensional and yeah really really interesting yeah about the industry itself yeah i believe so too yeah and uh if you guys want to learn more about forrest um and his work uh in affectiva and outside of affectiva you can check out his social media accounts uh twitter linkedin facebook etc we have so many links it's going to be found on the pondering nerds post um with this uh podcast episode and as always uh you know you can always you can follow more Pondering Nerds on PonderingNerds.com, GamingRebellion.com, and we're on all social media like Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher, etc., etc. Alright, and uh, we all love you for listening, and bye for now, guys. See you next week, next podcast, <laughs> next episode. Bye, guys! See ya! See ya!